Download and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasting from the JK Twin Studios. This is the Reds Fans Chatter Podcast Breakdown, an in-depth look at a Red season, player, or game. Now, here's your hosts, Scott Evans and Nick Lawson. And welcome to Reds Fans Chatter Breakdown. I'm Scott Evans. He's Nick Lawson. What's going on, man? What's going on, my man? We are going to break down and look in depth at the 2010 Cincinnati Reds season. I think a season that... Uh, Surprised everybody when you, if you looked at where we were or where the Reds were at the beginning of that year and where, uh, where Reds fans were, uh, come August, September of that year, a lot of things went down that year. Um, uh, it, it was a, it was a fun season. It didn't start, it didn't start off great, uh, but it ended great, which is what you want in a season. Cause, uh, there's been many a red season where end of April, they look like, Oh yeah, this is going to be the year, and then September, like, oh, they're in fifth place. Yeah, if I remember correctly, they didn't really get off to a great start that year, but then they uh, kicked it in gear around the All Star break. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get <clears throat> we'll get into that and uh, much more about the season. Uh, first, we're looking at kind of the uh, coaching staff uh, that year. Uh, Dusty Baker uh, was manager; his third season with the Reds, and. Um, I remember Dusty coming in a lot of hope because the Reds finally hired a uh, big name manager. Which you know before before Dusty, you had Jerry Naren, which was yeah, nothing against uh, Jerry, but uh, he he didn't have a history of success uh, regular season or postseason. Then before him was Dave Miley, Bob Boone. Uh, so uh, back to uh, Trader Jack was probably the last. Uh, Big name manager for the Reds, and then before before him was probably Davey Johnson. So um, it, it had been a while since the Reds had been in the postseason, and it had been a while since the Reds had a top manager. So Dusty Baker was a great hire by the Castellinis. Um, and then uh, Mark Berry uh, was third base coach. I, I kind of missed the, the first and third base coaches of the uh, Dusty Baker era because uh, you had Mark Berry at third, Billy Hatcher at first, it seems like they were always on the uh, same page. Uh, I, I remember 2010 All-Star Game, and uh, we'll talk about this as well, but uh, Brandon Phillips was miked, and he said, first to third, that's how we do it in Cincinnati. So it, uh, not, nothing against the guys now. It's just it's so analytical, and I think Billy and Mark Berry, they both kind of use their eyes more than than anything else. Uh, Brooke Jacoby, hitting coach, uh the hitting coaches for the Reds have always felt the brunt because uh, baseball in general, the uh, hitting in in the league has gone down almost year after year after year as far as average and uh, the stats that uh, kind of drive fans crazy. Uh, so I remember he got some uh, – he ended up getting a lot of heat and I think was the reason why Dusty Baker was dismissed in the 2013 season uh, because Dusty was – was a loyal guy and uh, wasn't going to fire him. Uh, Juan Lopez, uh, bullpen coach. Brian Price, great pitching coach. Yep. Uh, and then Chris Spire, uh, bench coach. I, I really think Chris uh, does a great job. I don't know if he's back with Dusty in Houston or not, but uh, um, I think he's probably one of the better bench coaches. I do like Freddie Benavides uh, that's with the team now, though. 
So yeah, he's got a couple of chances to you know fill in when David Bell either got suspended or whatever, right? Or ejected. Um, of course, uh, Walt Jockety. This was uh, his one of his better years. I think he got uh, Executive of the Year maybe that year. Uh, so uh, not sure. All in all, good year for the uh, front office and the managerial team. Of course, if you win on the field, it's always a great year. If you lose, the fans are going to be blaming you first. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much blaming you and whoever the highest paid player on the team is. Well, yeah, that's always falls on the manager and what falls on the GM and then, the high, like you said, the highest paid player. Right. And speaking of the the players on the team, there really weren't any uh, high paid players uh, that year. Uh, but some of these guys are going to make a lot of money in their career. And it all started this year. Of course, key players uh, – you can't talk about the 2010 Cincinnati Reds or really any team since 2007 without talking about Joey Votto. This was his MVP year, and uh, I remember going to a game uh, late in the season or maybe even midway through the season and starting hearing the chants MVP, MVP, and uh, something you haven't heard in Cincinnati in a long, long time. I, I thought that was so cool. I was thinking – there's no way a player from Cincinnati is going to get voted in by the national media uh, that's so in love with the New York teams uh, for MVP, and I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, it, it took – how long did it take between uh, last time we had an MVP like Barry Larkin? I think he I was mean, the last. Took, he was the last before Joey Votto, and, and I didn't even think Barry Larkin would get it that year. Because he wasn't even really the best player in the league, but right. then he got voted in as MVP. Like, wow. Of course, the uh, stats of Votto in 2010, 324 batting average, 424 on base percentage, 600 slugging. He had 37 home runs, 113 RBIs, which is low for an MVP candidate, but when you match it up with all the other numbers and the impact he had on the team, uh, it was pretty much a no-brainer to give it to him. And he, he, here's something I find interesting, uh, just looking at Dusty Baker's managerial style uh, compared with Brian Price or David Bell or other managers. I'm looking at the games played by the starters. Uh, the maximum number of games was 155 by Brandon Phillips. Votto only played 150 games that year. And I, I think sometimes, uh, I mean, granted, this year is a 60-game season, but uh, even so, there's not very many natural off days this year, and um, it, it seems like uh, I know Votto would play 162 games in a 60-game season, but sometimes it's the manager's job to uh, work out rest days where where it's needed. If a guy seems to be struggling, maybe a day off uh, could help. I mean, it helped with the three days off. It's, that's probably a little bit excessive uh, for a superstar like Votto or even any player that's going to be your regular everyday player but if you don't give him many days off and he's struggling and doesn't have time to just sit back and watch the game and try to get it caught up it it, it could bite bite him and i know uh i know uh dusty was was big on on days off uh, uh he did that when he when he was coach or managing uh junior for a brief period before junior was traded and adam dunn uh so um and uh, Votto, nowadays, he turned 37 today uh, that we're recording this. So happy birthday, Joey Votto, when this airs. Belated happy birthday, Joey Votto. Uh, but uh, that season uh, it worked out perfect for, for Joey. And uh, he's 26 years old then and uh, to start the season. So 
Um, you can't ask much more for Joey Votto that year. And, uh, you know, and, and even in this year, he's had a lot, he's had a couple of game winning hits, uh, big, big home runs. It, it's just, it's not the same in a 60 game season. And, and, uh, I hate to say it, he might be on the decline, but, uh, I never count uh, any player out because, uh, usually they have at least one surprise year left in them before they, uh, reach the age where they finally retire. Well, the, the one stat that stands out to me from 2010, he had 16 stolen bases. Oh, I know. Holy crap. That was before, that was before knee surgery, but, uh, right. yeah, I, I mean, you're right. And I, I, I played 150 games compared to 162 for that season. I, I, yeah, Dusty was big on giving guys days off and Joey was the, the golden boy, you know, he was the guy who was going to be your franchise player. This is before the big contract as well. Right. Um, so Dusty was, uh, you know, he's just taking care of his guys, he's taking care of his starters. And he, he did a very good job of that and kept them healthy enough to where they were going to be good enough to win that, win that division. Right. I remember Dusty's uh, philosophy during the regular season, and it's probably a little bit different this year, but not much, is uh, you win 15 games a month and uh, you're likely to be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that was good philosophy. Uh, it seemed to work that year. <laughs> and it worked a lot during uh, Dusty's uh, Dusty's tenures with a lot of his teams. I mean, it's not going to work every year because you're going to have injuries and bad luck. I, I know that with uh, the uh, the uh, the comments by Dick Williams, that kind of rubs the uh, some Reds fans the wrong way. But th- there are seasons you're just going to have bad luck, uh, whether it's this season in 2020 or not. Uh, Time will tell, but uh, but uh, D- Dusty was a big part of the big reason of the team, and, and we haven't had a manager that uh, had the feel of the game uh, like Dusty since Dusty. So um, that's good. Other key players for the for uh, that year: Brandon Phillips, of course, uh, twenty nine years old that season. Uh, he hit two seventy five, three thirty two on base percentage, four thirty slugging with. Uh, it's hard to believe him and Joey had the exact same number of stolen bases, but 16 stolen bases. Uh, yeah, almost, but he got caught. He got caught 12 times, though. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Joey's always been more selective <laughs> when he steals. Uh, Brandon was always an aggressive player. Uh, Vano had 177 hits. Uh, Brandon had 172 hits. Of course, Brandon does not walk as much. Uh, Vano that year, you you wouldn't think about it, but uh, he struck out quite a bit. 125 times. Uh, Brandon Phillips only struck out 83 times, which was uh, this. I think the 2010s when the strikeouts started not to mean as much. Um, I mean, if Adam Dunn played in the, this era where the strike, where walks, home runs were the big thing, and no one cared if you struck out, uh, he he would have been an MVP candidate every year. Yeah. Yeah, I think even uh, it was done with the Diamondbacks, I think, or something, the White Sox at that point. Right. Uh, he, he probably struck out about 180 times in the American League if he was with the White Sox. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, our our biggest thing was, I mean, I think with, uh, Stru- Stru- Drew Stubbs struck out 168 times. He uh, that did. Led that led the team right there. Yeah. But uh, Scott Rowland, a very big part of the uh, very big part of the team. Uh, Hit two, One of my favorite players right hit, there, Scott hit, Rowland. Yeah, hit 285, which was down from his Cardinal years where he seemed to always hit in the 300s, uh, 358 on base percentage. But, but uh, you know, we're talking about Votto, Brandon Phillips, uh, both veteran players. Brandon's playing independent ball now. 
uh, if you look at them today. But back then, they were they were Vada was in his third or fourth season. Uh, Brandon was a fairly young uh, player. He uh, he started in two thousand six. Uh, you know, Drew Stubbs, Jay Bruce, all young players. And so there was no leadership on that team uh, if you didn't have a veteran like Scott Rowland. So that deal in the off seat in the previous season at the trade deadline that had people scratching their heads on like, why are the Reds making this move? They're not in it. Why are you getting a rental player like Scott Rowland? And then he signed, signed an extension and uh, was a big part of that uh, winning, winning seasons uh, from 20, 2010, 2012. So, um, can you, can you imagine if they would have kept Edwin and Cardacion at the same time? Oh, the, but where would you, but the problem with that is Edwin belonged in the, uh, American league with the DH. Now if the national league had the DH and you could have pulled that off. That would have, those would have been probably, probably world series teams. Oh, definitely. The power that, that you would have had with the 30, 40 home runs from Encarnacion along with Fadis 37, Bruce 25, Stubbs 22, right, and so on. I mean, Encarnacion's uh, problem was, uh, especially early in his seasons, he was not a very good defensive third baseman. No, no. To his credit, he was he was going to the American League, and he was going to be a, a third base or DH. And that was, to his credit, he was going to be a very good DH and still is. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the only player I think we got was a giant turd was Jim Edmonds. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that in a, in a bit as well. But uh, look at some other key players uh, to start the season. Arthur Rhodes from the bullpen. Um, he 50, was good. 55 innings pitched, an all-star, uh, ended up with a 1.018 whip. Uh, ERA of 2.29. I would, that's something this Reds team in 2020 does not have is an Arthur Rhodes in that, in that bullpen. And, and there were some key games that, that Arthur won for the team. He probably got a hold in the stats, but he was the reason why the Reds, uh, won that game. Francisco Cordero, uh, of course, uh, Roldis Chapman made his debut that season. Uh, Johnny Cueto, uh, was coming along at age 24. Uh, that season had a uh, 3.64 ERA. Bronson Arroyo was in his prime, 3.88 ERA. Uh, Mike Leake, uh, definitely a, a key part of the success in the 2010 Reds team. Uh, Walt Jockety took the chance, didn't put him in the minors, didn't play the uh, arbitration game, or and brought him up uh, right away. And... Uh, you know, stats-wise, definitely a number four guy with a 4.23 ERA, but he if he wasn't up uh, that part of the year, I don't think the Reds would have been uh, in the postseason. He was he was that important. Uh, he had an 8-4 and four record and uh, kept, the, kept the team uh, in a lot of games uh, that they ended up winning. So, um, they put him in rotation. Put him in rotation oh, yeah. was a very smart move. Oh, absolutely. Uh, 20, the, guy, the guy could hit for for a hit for a pitcher. The guy could hit as well. I, I remember they kind of shut him down in September, which uh, yeah. may have kind of cost him towards the end. But uh, I know they are looking out for his career long term. But twenty four games, twenty two starts, one hundred and thirty eight innings pitched, um, ninety one strikeouts. Not a strikeout guy, but. Uh, and you don't see a lot of these guys in the league anymore. More of a finesse pitcher. Always enjoyed watching Mike Leake pitch. Uh, him and him and Arroyo looked, uh, 
I, I think uh, Mike Leake, I don't know if he if he thanks Bronson Arroyo or not, but I, I would think just sitting sitting next to Bronson that he picked up a lot from Bronson because Bronson was always the guy that would be talking with the other pitchers and, and trying to learn from them and, and have them learn from him as well. So And Bronson that year, 17-10 and 10, uh, with a 388 ERA. Uh, leading the staff, not necessarily your what you consider an ace with the stuff that Bronson had, but uh, those are ace results. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And Mike Leake, he, he he was a young kid that needed a a guy to look up to, and Bronson would have been that guy. Uh, being a veteran player, uh, been around the league a long time, he'd been in the playoffs. He he, he was a guy that you could you could look up to and get advice. Right. We talked about some of the offseason moves already. The two thousand nine tra- trade deadline of Scott Rowland, uh, also signing uh, Aroldis Chapman, which came out of nowhere. That's one thing I loved about uh, about uh, Walt Jockety. And, and Dick Williams is a lot like this is, to a certain extent. I think he leaked a little bit in this past offseason just to kind of get the Reds uh, fan base a little excited. But uh, they keep things pretty close to the vest. I, I know uh, you were making posts like, uh, at the trade deadline this year, it's like the Reds aren't talking to anybody, and then all of a sudden they make uh, the trades for uh, for Archie and uh, Goodwin, and uh, that seemingly came out of nowhere. And the the Chapman thing was absolutely out of nowhere because he was the top prospect out of Cuba back then, Cuba defector, and uh, you know all the teams were there scouting <laughs> scouting Chapman, and the fact that the Reds somehow got that through uh, was shocking to Reds fans and I think shocking to the national baseball media as well. well. I remember when he made his debut against Milwaukee, his first pitch was 101. Right. It's like, wow, this dude is, he's got some steam. And I, and I like, yeah, I remember where I was when I first heard about this is I was, I was working and I was sitting in my car in my break and I was listening to it on radio and I'm like, I'm hearing I'm oldest Chapman. I'm like, who's this guy? I'd never heard of him. And they were telling me that Sky throws 100 miles an hour, and he's a lefty, and 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 he was one of the top guys in the, in Cuba. And I'm like, okay, cool, sign him. And they, it it took a little bit. There was some back and forth, but it it eventually happened. I was kind of shocked too. Right. Uh, and then uh, of course uh, some of the other offseason moves. They signed Miguel Cairo in the offseason, and Cairo was that guy that gave the uh, guys that we were talking about earlier. Uh, break. So uh, he played uh, third base. I think he played some first base when Votto was out uh, that year. He hit 290 off the bench. When have, When's the last time we talked about a player off the bench hitting 290? Probably 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it. Right. And then you also you also had uh, the catcher duo of Hernandez and Hannigan. Uh, going back to some of the key players, uh, Hannigan that year hit 300 with a 405 on base percentage, uh, playing uh, 70 games. Hernandez, 297, 364 on base percentage. We haven't that had that kind of production out of the catching position probably since then either. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're closest we're going to get probably right now is Barnhart and, and – Casale, they they do a pretty good job one and two, but, but Barnhart needs to pick up his game. A yeah, bit. neither one of them are close to hitting three hundred or getting on base no. at a three fifty clip. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the other signing uh, Cabrera, Orlando Cabrera for shortstop. Uh, after Barry Larkin left, the Reds have been searching for that uh, steadfast shortstop, and uh, they weren't going to have it in, in Cabrera, but 
Definitely a good stopgap for that 2010 team. 263 adding average, 303 on base, not great, but uh, you know when you have other players hitting 285, 275, 324, you can live with a uh, light hitting shortstop. That's great with the glove. Well, I mean, at one point they had Paul Yanish as well playing short, and he batted 260. Right. He had a 338 on base, he had 385 slugging. So for a guy that didn't hit home runs, was mostly a ground ball hitter, he did pretty good. Right. So, I mean, that team uh, may be one of the more underrated teams of uh, in Reds history as far as the ones that have uh, made it to the postseason. Yeah, I, I, I just – Still blown away by the time we got finally got to the postseason after so many years, you know, you you, you ran into a steamroller like the Philadelphia Phillies, and uh, it just everything all of us were heartbroken. Right. Well, let's let's start let's start talking about the season opening day. Uh, always a big day in Cincinnati. Uh, starting off against the Cardinals, and they lose eleven to six at Carpenter versus Harang. Uh, 42,493, uh, were in attendance that game. And just to kind of give you the picture of 2010, uh, the stadium next, right next to it was nothing. It was the remnants of riverfront stadium synergy field. And, you know, uh, you, now you go down there, you have hotels, restaurants, bars, uh, nightlife. There's going to be a, a music center built, uh, so it's amazing how much the city's grown around there. But back then you had the dueling p- piano bars, uh, just east of the stadium and east of the Coliseum. And, uh, before you got to the purple people bridge and that was about it downtown. It was, it was a ghost town in 2010. So, uh, definitely a different beast these days oh absolutely and opening day is a different beast these days too because they move the date back the time back and it, and i know some traditionalists hate it but with the block party the reds put on for the reds community fund the parade it truly makes uh makes opening day a, a true holiday uh just because the celebration goes from morning noon and night and uh, if the weather's great, it's perfect. When it's cold, you're wishing for that one o'clock game start again. But uh, but anyway, opening day of that year, Red start eleven, I lose eleven to six. They lose the second game six to three. So not looking good for the Reds uh, that year, uh, as far as when the season started off in April. Uh, then there's the Padres series. I will remember going to this series. I went sick, which if I did today, I'd probably be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> If you're allowed in the stadium. Right, right. I mean, I, there's that too. Uh, but I remember going to the game, watching it. I'm like, oh, it's going to be another year. And I, back then my seats were in the uh, mezzanine, uh, front row of four, section 414. And I remember 2009, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Uh, not, none, of, none of the uh, concession stands are open. Because, you know, the Reds have been bad at previous years. But if you wanted a, a hot dog or a uh, – or a Penn Station sub, you didn't have to walk down to the lower deck to get one. Well, they started cutting back in 2009 because of attendance being down. And I'm like, oh, great. We're going to be doing that again this year. Uh, this team's awful. Uh, this is never going to work. So they ended April, though. I mean, it's, it sounds bad, but uh, in April they ended the uh, month, believe it or not, 12 and 11. Uh, but they still were behind in run differential 
Uh, but I mean, if if the Reds started July this year, July August this year with a five twenty two win percentage, uh, we would be talking about uh, first place. We'd be talking playoffs right about now. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I mean, sometimes there's a team. Teams get a slow start. The Reds this year were tracking right along at one point with this team, but. Uh, They've kind of not they ne- this, the 2020 team never caught back up to to match what the, the 2010 team. Uh, moving on to May, they had a 30 and 20 uh, end of the month 30 and 22. Went in May, they went 18 and 11. Uh, that's a 621 win percentage for the year. So Dusty kind of getting his 15 game uh, per month average now uh, between April and May. Uh, finished uh, April. I'm sorry, finished May in. Um, First place tied uh, for the lead, and things were starting to look up, but Reds fans have been there before early in the season seeing teams like, oh, this is going to be the year, and, you know, just like every other year, doesn't yep. happen. But uh, in June, uh, the winning keeps on continuing. They end the month 44-35 and 35 in June. Um, not terrible. Not terrible. And uh, trying to find out where they ended June up uh, a half game in the division. So um, you you can't ask for much more than that uh, for for a red season. And uh, you know some key games that uh, month: um, Seattle uh, Mariners series. They got swept in a three game series, and then but short right after right after that. And this is something that teams today can't. They uh, went down to Oakland and uh, swept the Athletics uh, in a three-game series on a West Coast road trip, which those have never been kind to the Cincinnati Reds, uh, going back to when they were even in the Western Division back in the 70s and 80s. No, they, they never had any luck out there. Um, I know that they swept that series in 2010, like a few years ago. They swept the Dodgers in four games, which hadn't happened in many, many years. So it was that was one time when you're thinking, well, maybe we have a shot. The team that you fought in the World Series in 1990 and swept, and then you sweep them in a regular series. So I, in my mind, I'm going, okay, maybe we got something here. Right now, there was a uh, we kind of skipped over the uh, civil rights game uh, in 2010. That was on oh, May yeah. 15th, and I remember. Didn't go to that game. I was actually went to Kings Island that day with my uh, now ex-wife and listening to the game on the radio, hearing this the hearing the call to the finish of the game where uh, it's a four-three game. Game ended when Red shortstop Orlando Cabrera took a relay throw from Chris Heisey at the base of the left field wall and gunned down Skip Schumacher, who was eventually a Reds at home plate, uh, t- trying to score the tying run from first base. On a uh, Joe Mathers double, uh, the game was pretty cool. The both teams wore their 1954 uniforms for the game. Uh, in the first season, uh, both teams fielded their first African American players. And uh, MLB Network telecast the game from Cincinnati. It was the second game uh, for the Reds to uh, host the Civil Rights game. They hosted the original or the inaugural season. Uh, in-season civil rights game in 2009. I went to that game. Uh, one of the people they honored there, uh, not honorable anymore, that was uh, Bill Cosby. They also honored Hank Aaron and uh, Muhammad Ali, 
So it was, it was a really cool experience seeing that. Uh, um, and that game, uh, the 2000, both the 2009 and 2010 uh, civil rights game was a huge part of the Reds' uh, bid to get the uh, 2015 All-Star game. I remember asking Bob Castellini at a uh, season ticket holder's uh, luncheon, like, is this going to help getting a, uh, a, an All-Star game? And he told me, yes, it's not going to be this year or next year, but very soon. And uh, it got announced that it was 2015. I'm like, well, Bob didn't lie to me. <laughs> yeah. So, cause you know, it seemed like we are never going to get the all-star game, almost like the Kentucky speedway when the original owners had it always try to get a NASCAR race and never did until they sold it to NASCAR. But <laughs> this was a little bit different. Bob got the all-star game and was a gr- we'll do a show on that uh, coming up as well. But, uh, but 2010, the uh, civil rights game, I, I would love the Reds to get that back because I, I don't know where it's going to be. It's probably not going to have one in 2019. It actually doesn't look like they've done one since uh, since 2015. And that, that's kind of sad because it, it was a great uh, um, it, it was a great way to celebrate diversity in baseball, honor uh, African-Americans and and people that made a difference in the community and uh was was a fun experience especially seeing uh even even though he's tarnished his own name uh now seeing bill cosby on the field at that time no one knew uh what was in his past or at least it wasn't publicly known uh and then seeing muhammad ali and uh hank aaron and uh being honored and uh it was it was just a great ceremony everyone was Everyone was unified and uh, something that I think baseball needs. It would be a great way to um, to speak out on the on the issues going on today, with that beyond just uh, showing support for the for the, during the anthem or before the anthem or putting a sign up on the uh, on the stage. I, I don't understand why the game uh, the game ended. Uh, so uh, maybe that's something Rob Manfred uh, needs to bring back because. The last year they had it was the year before Manfred uh, took over. So, yeah, that's a different story as well. We could probably do a whole podcast on Rob Manfred. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you might get hate mail. I don't know. Yeah, but the first the first year since we're talking about the uh, uh, the civil rights game, the first year uh, there was three awards they give each year: the Beacon of Life Award that went to Hank Aaron, uh, Beacon of Change Award went to Muhammad Ali. And the Beacon of Hope Award uh, went to Bill Cosby that year. And the uh, keynote speaker for the first one was uh, former President uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, In 2010, Willie Mays got the Beacon of Life Award. Beacon of Change Award went to Billy Jean King. And uh, Beacon of Hope Award went to Harry Belafonte. So something something baseball should, I I think, bring back. It was... uh, I've been to one of the two. A really fun experience and... uh, and uh, I, I don't understand what, why why it ended. It, it doesn't uh, really make sense. Uh, it, it didn't really cost anything. The, the attendance for uh, that May 15th game on a Reds team that uh, was playing well, but, you know, expectations low, 41,326. And that's for 2010. I, I didn't look at what the 2009 was, but I was there, and it was definitely a sellout, if not – if it wasn't a sellout, it was very close to being a sellout. So, um, 
bring the, bring that game back, uh, Rob Manfred. <laughs> as as, as um, Trevor Bauer says, Rob, Rob. Well, it, you know, and I think they changed gears. They kind of went to celebrating Little League World Series, right, right, and doing doing games out there and kind of you know mentoring the children. Yeah, but, and I'm with you. I, I think they should bring back those games because it was a lot of fun, and it showed that the respect they had for the for the black players. Well, and not only that, it, it was a way to honor uh, honor people that uh, bring change and uh, in, into our community. So, I mean, Muhammad Ali definitely fits that bill in, in a way to to get the message out to people that um, normally wouldn't think about it, and in, in a way that uh, doesn't offend or uh, you know, unintentionally offend. So, uh, I, it, well, I think, it, it I think, I think like, if you do it, if you do another one, I think you should do one just to honor the, those black players that have paved oh, the way for the players today. You know, Willie Mays, Ann Karen, Jackie Robinson, Satchel Paige, those players, they carved their names in, in and a legacy to show these guys today what it was like before everybody was in yeah. the same page. Maybe, maybe baseball should do that for 2021. Maybe I'll tweet Amir Garrett and, and get his, his ideas behind it. Cause I mean, that was before, uh, Garrett got involved in, in the majors. So he, he may not even realize there was a, a, a civil rights game or knew that it was part of baseball schedule. Uh, he's and, one of my favorite players. I mean, well, I love him. Absolutely. Me too. So maybe, maybe he can, uh, somehow get the word to him and, uh, he can hopefully get something rolling with the, uh, with the commissioner on that because it, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a, a good thing for the community and good thing for baseball. So moving on, getting into July, the all-star break 49 and 41 in first place in the central division. Uh, been a long time since the Reds have been in that position at the all-star break. Uh, and then of course, in the all-star game, I, I believe the Reds had four all-stars that year. Uh, I believe you're correct. I'll have to to look at it, but I think you're correct. So I know uh, Joey Votto was obviously an all-star. I think Brandon Phillips was an all-star. Brandon Phillips was absolutely an all-star because he's the one that uh, was mic'd up saying first to third. That's how we do it in Cincinnati. Uh, Arthur Uh, Rhodes. Arthur Rhodes was a late entry. And uh, Scott Rowland. Now, the surprising thing is, and Votto has never got respect from the fans that a superstar should uh, should be receiving. And part of it, I think, is his personality because, uh, especially back then, he was very introverted. So he's an introvert in a smaller market on a team that hasn't done well in 10 years. And uh, you're going to be, uh, you're not going to get the same attention that other players. So Votto got in the final spot in the National League roster after winning the fan vote for that. So the MVP of that season was barely an all-star, which is just a tragedy. I I don't like how baseball does the uh, all-star voting. I think there's a lot of flaws in the system. I I do like the fans having a say, and we can do a show on this sometime as well, but uh, uh, I I I would like to see something where uh, the fans vote for the one player from each team and then the rest are, are picked by the players and maybe the managers. Uh, the, the system's much better because I know there's more players, say, who gets on, and I, I kind of like that because they're the ones playing against each other. I'd never want to see it to go to the baseball writers, though. <laughs> no. 
Now that, that that's bad enough. The baseball writers have the the say in in helping out in the voting of the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I think you know if if you have a little bit of this and that, especially with the fans, the fans should vote. I mean, you don't get to, the fans don't get to vote on the pitchers. Right. Why not? Why not? I don't understand that. Yep. I mean, you can, <laughs> we watch the game. We see the guys pitching. Right. Why can't we be more an instrumental on who gets to go to the all-star game as pitchers? Yeah, not sure about about why that, that came into place or not either. Uh, other key games in July, uh, before the all-star break, uh, the first through the seventh, they started strong, beating the Cubs three out of four, taking two out of three from the Mets. And then after that, though, they went on a losing streak, losing four to the Phillies. And uh, that was the game in that series uh, where Travis Wood had a spoiled perfect perfect game uh, during the series in the ninth inning. So uh, oh, I yeah, remember that game. Yeah, you you know that's one theme with those team that era of pitching is it seemed like the Reds had a lot of pitchers that came close to no hitters or had no hitters, and that kind of upped their value. Uh, with the Reds fans, and maybe in the case of Homer Bailey, <laughs> with uh, uh, with Reds management, but because uh, I know a lot of fans uh, really like Travis Wood, but his stats overall were not—they weren't tra- Trevor Bauer stats anyway. Let's put it that way. At least good well, Trevor Bauer. Now, especially when he left here, his stats went down the hill. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely, you would think you move out of a, out of a hitter's ballpark, they would go up. Uh, remember going to the first game after the All-Star game in July. It was an awesome uh, night. Uh, went there because one, uh, there was a one of the st- one of the uh, giveaways in 2010 was a Joey Votto action figure that doesn't really do anything, <laughs> but so it's more of a statue. But they called it an action figure. Uh, there was an issue with the shipment out of China, and so the Reds gave everyone that went that had tickets for that game a voucher to uh, pick up the uh, the statue uh, when it would be ready and a voucher for any seat other than diamond seats and bleachers for 50% off. So this was, I think, the first time I ever sat in the, uh, in the uh, Champions Club uh, seats where you get all the food. And back in 2010, I mean, it's still good now, but they had uh, more options than they do now. They had like a panini section, uh, now it's just the uh, the uh, Montgomery Inn. They had a pasta section, which now it's just a salad. <laughs> uh, so they, they had a lot more options there. It was, it was awesome. And that night uh, they had a pre- and post-game concert from the one, the only, MC Hammer as they were celebrating uh, the 1990 Reds. <laughs> so MC Hammer uh, played before the game and after the game. It was awesome. There was fireworks going off uh, while Hammer performed after. Hammer was great because he didn't play any of his uh, new stuff that no one had ever heard. He stuck to the hits, and uh, it was a great time. Big Reds win, too, because Arthur Rhodes uh, came in, no outs, bases loaded situation, and he shut down the Colorado Rockies. For those kids who are wondering, MC Hammer was a rapper from the 90s. <laughs> the but, 90s Reds used to use You Can't Touch This as their song in the in the locker room after the games to try and motivate them. Right. There you go. It's a history lesson in music. So anyway, the Reds ended <laughs> the Reds ended the, the month of July 58 and 47, but 
were in second place behind the cards, which uh, led into August and a lot of things went down. First, the Jim Edmonds trade, and I think you have a rant about Jim Edmonds. It was a long enough show. <laughs> Jim Edmonds, this this turd came over here. We got him in a, I guess it was a waiver deal or something from uh, the Padres or the whatever, and he, he came over here, he had three solo home runs and pulled a hammy, and then he sat out the rest of the season. You know what? The guy was a, an all-star in St. Louis. He's an all-star in Anaheim. He comes here, he pulls a hammy, and all of a sudden the, the medical staff wasn't treating well. He said bad things about the medical staff, about the res management and everything. You know what, Jim Evans, you can stick it in your butt. Because I don't care what you think. <laughs> Reds fans don't care what you think. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Jim Evans coming over here was just a dud. He only bet at 207. Right. He sucked. He sucked. He was a disappointment. <laughs> See, usually I have the rants on this show. I figured I'd let you have one this time. <laughs> I could I could have been real bad and cursed, but I'm not going to do that. This is a family show, and I want to keep it that way. Absolutely. But uh, the other thing that happened in August – uh, shortly after Jim Edmonds, of course, was all, was a uh, cardinal for uh, the bulk of his career. Uh, Brandon Phillips comments on August the tenth, two thousand ten. Oh I, man! And and I quote: "I hate the Cardinals. All they do is bitch and moan about everything. Yes. All of them. They're little bitches. All of them. I really hate the Cardinals. Compared to the Cardinals, I love the Chicago Cubs." <laughs> I love Brandon Phillips just for that. <laughs> so first at bat, of course, he's leading off that night. I think Dusty did that on purpose. <laughs> I, I was I was there with my brother. Uh, so uh, he taps uh, as he always does. He tapped uh, Yachty on the uh, on the shin guards, and Yachty took exception of it. And then a fight. The the craziest thing about that fight, the two guys that started it never threw a punch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yachty and uh, Brandon, they just sat there and, and talked, and then everybody else, all hell broke loose. Of course, uh, Jason LaRue uh, unfortunately got spiked by Johnny Cueto. Cueto was being pushed up against the uh, the netting. Uh, the sad thing is I think I heard uh, LaRue talk recently about how uh, Cueto still has never apologized for that. Uh, it kind of ended Jason LaRue's career. Of course, LaRue uh. was a former Red uh, it's unfortunate. I, I don't think Cueto was aiming to do that. Uh, but I mean, I wish I wish Cueto would have done it to Chris Carpenter, in my opinion. But uh, you know, <laughs> no, 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 sorry about Jason Larue. I like Jason. I you know I think yeah, he's a great red. But you, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and unfortunate situation. Uh, you never want to see that. That's you know, fans get excited about the fights, but no one really wants to see any, anyone uh, get seriously hurt. Uh, in, in, in some type of scrum like that. And then uh, I, I think even the announcers uh, were talking on the, on the telecast that, um, you know, anytime the scrum goes up against the wall is when things can really go wrong because people can get, get uh, trapped up against the wall. The, what Cueto did with the uh, kicks. Uh, so the, the very unfortunate. And then as things calmed down, Scott Rowland, former former Cardinal, didn't matter. He uh, he was about ready to go off on uh, on uh, Chris Carpenter, and uh, loved to seeing that out of Scott Rowland. Uh, Dusty and Tony Larusa hated each other to begin with, so it, it kind of fired up the Reds, but they got swept in the series. <laughs> 
I, I like to say we we lost the game, but we won the war. A- absolutely, lost the battle that we that uh, weekend. But yep. uh, Reds finished August seventy seven and fifty five, seven games up in first place. So yeah. So, yep. So the firing up happened, but uh, I mean, there was some, I know there was some concern, uh, especially from Reds uh, media that, you know, that was going to be, be the end of the the, uh, March as the Reds and Cardinals in that series were very close in the standings, but especially after losing three to, to your uh, second place uh, team that's trying to catch you, but the Reds, they rebounded through the month and, uh, they went on to win eight of their next nine games. When's the last time the Reds have won eight of their last nine games? I think last year they actually did have a uh, an eight game winning streak, but it it seems uh, it seems forever since the Reds have, have went on winning streaks. Sweep last, in that year in 2010, they swept the Marlins and the Diamondbacks after the uh, Cardinal series, and then they won a uh, three game series against the Dodgers, uh, two to one. And Homer Bailey got back in the lineup and uh, pitched a seven-inning shutout uh, against the Marlins when he came back. And then the Cardinals, after that series, they beat the Reds, but then they went on to lose six of their next seven games, uh, which pretty much gave Reds control of the Central Division leading up uh, to September 28th, 2010. I, I, I wish I was saying I was there, but I was in my basement at the time watching the game on TV. Uh, the Reds in first place over the Cardinals uh, by a wide margin clinched the division, and there was some talk, you know, are they going to back into it, which it seems silly uh, by the Cardinals losing and then and not the Reds winning. But uh, anyway, Jay Bruce came up against uh, the Houston Astros, who were in the National League at the time, uh, left-handed pitcher Tim Burdick, and uh, this was the call. So here's Burdick and here's Bruce. And a high fly ball, center field. He hit it a ton. It's gone. And the 2010 Central Division Championship belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. Of course, Marty Brenneman on the call with Reds Radio Network. And I think someone spliced in uh, Joe Nuxall's uh, call of uh, Pete Rose's 4192 on, on that piece of audio I found on YouTube. Uh, that did sound familiar. I knew I knew, I knew something that was funny about that one. Yeah, but uh, still a great call by Marty Brenneman and uh, um, and uh, one of the I think uh, Marty puts that up as one of his uh, best calls of all t- one of his favorite calls of all time uh, because it was exciting. I remember jumping up and down, hitting the ceiling in my basement uh, when it happened, and uh, really regretted not going to that game that night because I thought about it, but I had other stuff to do at home. But uh, one of my regrets in life, I remember the uh, announcer saying, you know, it's not a sellout, but, you know, 10 years from now, everybody will say they were there. I know. I wish I was there. I was in my living room watching. I was standing up in front of my television because it was tied. And I'm like, man, just one swing. It's all we need. And the the first pitch that Bruce saw, boom. I was jumping up and down in my in my ceiling, in, in my <laughs> living room, of shaking the floor, and like my wife's like, "What's going on?" I was doing the same thing. Of course, that led to the Reds uh, finishing the season five games up on the Cardinals, uh, entering the postseason for the first time since uh, 1995, and 15 years uh, had been 10 years really since the Reds had even uh, came close to the uh, postseason with the uh, playoff 
or the uh, one-game playoff to see who uh, got the wild card spot. Uh, game one sixty-three, if you will, against the Mets, where the Reds were shut out five to nothing. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Reds make the postseason, face the Phillies, and I remember game one, the crowd being so loud. I was listening to it on my way home from work. You could barely hear Marty Brenneman, and I think Steve Stewart was the uh, announcer, his, his uh, sidekick at the time. May have been Cowboy at the time, too. Uh, but you you could barely hear them, and I'm like, whoa, that is the craziest crowd. Of course, Philadelphia is known for, for crazy crowds, but uh, crowd was deafening. Roy Holiday pitched a no-hitter. Uh, so game two, Reds. Lose seven to four. Roldis Chapman, I remember, hit hit a player. I think it was Jimmy Rollins, but it didn't really hit him. He he sold that one because the pitch was like hundred and two miles per hour, and and he barely flinched. If you get hit by a hundred and two mile per hour fastball, you're you're you're, gonna, in the, you're in the dirt. You're kissing the dirt. Yeah. So, but the umpire, no replay back then. Uh, I mean, it may have grazed his jersey, which would have been a hit by pitch, but. Uh, it, it it looked uh, it looked really bad. I, I think the announcers were even saying uh, he, he got away with one there, and uh, that that was before Chapman got control along with his uh, his speed. When he got speed and control, especially when he got that slider uh, to go with it, uh, he's still one of the uh, unhittable pitchers in the in the game. Uh, but uh, Reds lose that second game seven to four. Uh, game three in Cincinnati. I was there. Crowd was rocking, but the Reds uh, were knocking. No, not <laughs> they weren't. They weren't knocking. Was that <laughs> no, they they lost two to nothing. Uh, so Reds got swept in their first uh, postseason appearance, but uh, it was a fun season. Uh, something uh, I think we were kind of hoping for this season, even with the shortened season, and has not played out that well. Hopefully, we see that again sometime. I mean. One difference between the 2010 Reds and the 2020 Reds is uh, the 2020 Reds has a lot of veteran experience, so it's not the, the expectation expectations were high uh, for 2020, and you know it's not over yet. They can, they're, especially with eight teams making the playoffs, it's still possible, but uh, it, it's definitely a disappointing season so far for the uh, 2020 Reds. 2010 Reds, though, expectations were super low. They got off to a a uh, relatively slow start in April, uh, but then kicked it in gear and never looked back. So I, I really enjoyed the 2010 Reds. I remember some of the comments uh, by players after the clin- after they clinched the season. I think Jay Bruce was one of them, saying, "Oh yeah, we're we're great, we're good, we're we're just getting started, and we're cheap." Of course, that ended very quickly because most of those guys were starting to enter arbitration. Um, but uh, it, it was a start for the. Uh, Short-lived new red machine. I think uh, TBS television tried to uh, to dub them, and uh, they had a 2011 disappointing year. Uh, some bad luck that year with some injuries. 2012-2013, uh, uh, great uh, regular seasons, disappointing postseasons in both of them, and uh, disappointing seasons since then as well. So, but 2010 definitely a season I'll always remember. Uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, uh, it, I think by the time we got to the postseason, you ran into a guy named Roy Halladay. Uh, he, he was magical in that game when he threw that no-hitter. Um, he was he didn't miss anything. His pitches were spot on. 
he he was just crisp. And I think once that no hitter happened, the, the the air came out of the sails for the Reds. They could not get back on track with, for the, the last two games, especially the last game when they got shut out. Um, there was, like you said, there was no expectations for the Reds to do anything in 2010, which is less pressure for you when going into the season, which is a good thing. So they had a lot to prove. They had a little chip on their shoulder. They wanted to get there. They knew they had the talent, and we did too. I mean, if you look, the two top pitchers were Arroyo and Cueto. Nobody else had double-digit wins besides them two guys. Cordero three had 40 saves, but he blew eight of them. Uh, like you said, Arthur Rhodes was a, the backbone of the bullpen, 2.29 ERA. Uh, he had a guy like Nick, like uh, Nick Massett, and we don't we love, guys like to just talk bad about him, but the guy was in 82 games that year. Not many relievers get in that many games anymore. No, not at all. Um, Aaron Harang had a kind of a – he had that extra inning game in San Diego where he came in relief, and that kind of screwed up his, his rest of his career. Um, Logan Andrusik was a, a was a silent horse in that one. He was he was three point six eight ERA at sixty games. I mean he was he was a tough dude too. Uh, there was a lot of great pitching. Chapman was you know a late entry at fifteen games. His ERA is two point oh three through one hundred three miles an hour. I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that honestly because <laughs> I'm left handed and he's left handed would have been bad. Right. So where where do you think the two thousand team Reds fall in history? Uh, this team is in my, I have a top five. I think this, this 2010 team was one of my, probably my number four, uh, simply because it was a fun team to watch and they were blowing everybody's expectations out of the water. Right. It reminded me a, a little bit, uh, not, not completely, but a little bit of the 1990 team, kind, same kind of vibe, not a lot of expectations and. Uh, the, the team definitely overachieved, couldn't pull it off in the uh, postseason, uh, but uh, but uh, overall, is a very fun year, and it was it was great. Uh, it was the first season you really heard a lot of fan in- energy at Great American Ballpark, and uh, and outside of Opening Day, which is it's kind of a different crowd. But the 2010 season, a lot of fun moments. It was an exciting team to watch. Uh, I mean, just looking at uh, some of how some of the stats of that year, they uh, had a uh, winning streak of uh, seven games. Uh, they also had lo- longest losing streak was only five games. Uh, so they had uh, eight walk off wins that season and uh, shut out the opponent uh, nine times. So I mean, and they had some bad parts of the season too, but the the good outweighed the bad, and it was, it was overall it was fun, and uh, there was no not there was social media, but it hadn't it hadn't taken over to where sometimes it ruins the game. So it, it was a lot of fun that year. Hopefully the Reds can get back that uh, this year. Even if they, it's not going to be the same. Even if they win the World Series this year, just because uh, fans not being allowed in, but hopefully next year we. Things return to normal. Fans can return to the games uh, at a significant uh, attendance, if not full attendance, and uh, we can uh, recapture some of the joy of uh, baseball uh, in person. I mean, it's, it's going to be fun no matter what, just because you're be, you'll be allowed to go. Uh, but winning is always more fun than losing. Well, you know, listening to that clip when Bruce Homer, I mean, you felt the energy of the fans. I miss that so much. 
uh, it just the energy was insane and, and that was the year that's what everybody would wanted they wanted to see this team rise up from the dead and, and become something and they did that it was it was so much fun and it was a lot of energy every game after that even before that i mean that that was a fun time to be a reds fan uh, unfortunately they couldn't do it in the postseason but hopefully we have a, a bright future with a team we have now that can really put it in gear hopefully next year Absolutely. Well, that kind of wraps it up for this week. Uh, next week, I'm on vacation, so we'll have a, a best of episode, and then we'll get back to our regular scheduled uh, weekend review on uh, the week of September 21st. So until then, go Reds. Always go Reds. <laughs>